Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Well, as you can hear, I'm a little bit raspy today, but if I don't get too excited, then I probably shouldn't squeak or anything, right? (laughs) If I do squeak, then you can feel free to laugh and, you know, that'll fill in for some of my... Uh, if I don't have enough bad jokes today, right? So we're going to continue in Romans. So we're going to continue in Romans today. Romans, 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 the most comprehensive expression of theology in the entire Bible. We're kind of seeing that by now, aren't we? For real. When you take it apart, uh, the gospel according to Paul, as some call it, it's God's righteousness Uh, our iniquity, and God's remedy through grace. God's grace revealed the letter to the Romans. So where we left off last week, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a recap real quick because we had to stop prematurely for time. Uh, In chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, if you remember... Paul was outlining three different objects of joy, and we had gotten through um, two of them. Can we see that first graphic on the screen? I don't know, my TV's off here. See if I can get this thing on. We'd gotten through the first two of them. I don't know why this thing's being funny. I'll go without it. We've gotten through the first two of them. The hope of glory and rejoicing in suffering. The second of the two, a little bit more, uh, you know, surprising to say the least, right? An object of joy, suffering, are you kidding me? But then that Paul further went into uh, his explanation as he talked about uh, the next graphic. Can we see that? He talked about how trouble, trouble produces character. And character is ultimately what produces hope. So, in other words, without trouble, we don't have the character that we need to spur ourselves on into hope, right? So that's where we were. And let's begin with verse 5 this morning, shall we? Verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint, Paul writes, And indeed, it does not disappoint. Amen? It does not disappoint. And and, in saying this, he's saying it in in the sense of it does not put to shame, Isaiah chapter 28 would say. In other words, hope does not disappoint because it's the the promise of God is assured of fulfillment. So we're not hoping in something flimsy like, I hope the Broncos win the Super Bowl this year, right? No, 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 no. That is most definitely not assured. They stink. Okay? (laughs) Very disappointing. All right? No, no, no. This is hope. We are assured of his promises to be fulfilled. That's what he's saying. Now, hope does uh, does not disappoint. In that sense, it does not put to shame. Okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 
It reads, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth, right? It does not put to shame. It does not disappoint. Still on verse 5. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And we all said, signed, sealed, and... And then a dance party broke out right after church. Science ill delivered. My goodness. And that's where we left off last week. So, verse 6, continuing on. For when we were still without strength, in due time, in due time, that means at just the right time, at just the right time, when we were hopeless, in other words. Not a second too early, not a second too late, you understand. Who can testify that God is never early, but he is never late either? Amen? I think we just heard some of those testimonies, didn't we? I think we did. In due time, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, this in due time, in due time, this is reminiscent of what he had just said as we read last week in his forbearance. Chapter 3, verse 25 said, God in his forbearance. In other words, what that word means, can I see this definition up here? Forbearance means this. It means in God's patience, tolerance, or self-control, especially in not responding to provoking, provocation. Or a special agreement, and this was the one that struck me, a special agreement between the lender and the borrower to delay a foreclosure. In God's forbearance, in his delaying, he came at just the right time. He delayed foreclosure on our souls long enough to come at just the right time, church. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Don't let that phrase pass you by too quickly, okay? Christ died for the ungodly. Who do you think of when we say this, the ungodly? The ungodly. (laughs) Verse 7, let's keep reading. For scarcely a righteous man... For for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Woo! Jeez, I've been waiting to get to that scripture, man. Right? That's Romans, right? While we were yet sinners. I want you guys to think the ungodly. I want you to think totally unattractive, right? Do your worst. Do your worst in your imagination, the ungodly. Would you die for that? Who are you thinking of? Who is ungodly to you? Are you thinking, yeah, I want... 
drug dealers, prostitutes, the dregs of society. They're the ungodly, right? I think Ron got to this already. How about you think of yourselves, huh? When you think of the ungodly and you read across this, do you think of yourselves? Indeed we were. Indeed we were. But no longer. Amen? In the eyes of God, when he looks upon you now, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Psalm 40, David, in Psalm 40, David famously shares the sentiment. Verse 2, he says this, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. I love this verse. I've always loved this verse. It makes me think of grace. When you read the def, I've said it a million times in here, right? The definition of grace, haris in the Greek, it means that God reached down to us. Unmerited favor. He, the creator, reached down to us to lift us out of our pit. This is grace. And here, here uh, uh, David is foreshadowing, foreshadowing that grace in Psalm 40. Let's keep reading in Romans uh, 5, verse 9. For much, much more than now, having now been justified by his blood. Oh, let me, here, a little context. God demonstrate his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood. Paul specifically mentions the blood. Why? Because it denotes a sacrificial death. Okay, we shall be saved from wrath through him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, Jesus is called our deliverer from the wrath to come. Here, as there, the end time outpouring of judgment is in view, church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, also concurs that God has not destined us for wrath. Thank God, amen? I think Ron hit on that in his th uh, giving of thanks earlier. God is good. We shall be saved from wrath through him. I have to understand, when it comes to the end times and the seven-year tribulation, that wrath in that sense, in the second half of the tribulation especially, is at the hands of God. So it's not the suffering and the persecution that we experience now or that even Christians in the Middle East have experienced from ISIS, right? Certainly, Christians throughout time, Christians that were at the end of the sword of the Catholic Church or the Moors, they certainly felt persecution, right? They certainly felt as though they were under wrath, but it wasn't God's wrath. It was the wrath of an oppressor. It was the wrath of Satan. In the seven-year tribulation, you understand God is pouring his wrath out on the wicked world. We don't want to be here for that. Thanks be to God, though. As I said in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, and here in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 9, we see 
we shall be saved from wrath through him. Praise be to God. Verse 10 continues, For if when we were enemies, enemies being estranged and hostile to God, keep that in mind, the context that we were, we've been in in earlier chapters, estranged and hostile in mind to God, enemies, wow, when we were enemies, we were thusly reconciled, enemies of God, hostile to God. During that, while that was our state, we were reconciled. That word reconciled here, it means this. It means to restore a relationship, to restore a relationship by the removal of barriers. How many of you guys have broken relationships in your life? And you know that relationship really can't be healed or moved forward until a barrier is removed. Something has to give. Something has to happen. You've drawn lines to protect yourself, right? Many of us know how that feels. While we were still the enemies of God, he removed the barrier. Think about that. Enemies at the gate, Enemies behind the wall? While we were enemies, he removed the wall. That's pretty powerful. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved. And in the manner in which this is written in the Greek text, it means daily delivered, a continuing, a continual salvation. We shall be saved, daily delivered. Daily we are delivered by him, church, by his life. And by saying by his life, Paul is saying not by his death, no, by his life, his present resurrection life that he has. By that resurrected life, we are continually daily saved. Amen? As he is continually acting on our behalf as our high priest now. That atonement being made. It's beautiful. You know, I tell you what, the more you dig into this verse-by-verse stuff, the more it, it just reads like poetry, in a sense, as well. It's so beautiful. Verse 11 And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received. In other words, Paul is saying, it's a done deal. As he speaks, it's a done deal. He has now received the reconciliation. And so have you. And so have you. The situation here may be compared to that uh, aforementioned king proclaiming an amnesty for rebellious subjects. That's what's happening here. Rebellious subjects who are urged to accept his gracious pardon while it is still extended to them. That's the state we're in at this moment. And so we urge other rebellious subjects that we know to accept his pardon while it's still available because it won't be available for long. It won't be available forever, certainly. So that concludes the three objects of joy that we uh, 
had, uh, had identified through that section. Can we see this, that next graphic? Three objects of joy, the hope of glory, rejoicing in suffering, and rejoicing in God himself. And shouldn't we rejoice in God himself? Huh? Amen? Talk to me this morning. Give me some feedback. Amen? Amen. His people have been reconciled to him by the death of Christ and experienced daily deliverance from evil. Hallelujah! Mm, looking forward to his blessed hope, his coming, and meeting him in the air. Now, in the following section, as we move on, in the following section, Paul, he will present Jesus in contrast to Adam. Adam, Adam. The Garden of Eden, Adam, okay? This idea, keep this in mind as we read, this idea uh, of God's man. You see it throughout the Bible, don't you? It's been, God's man being a fulfiller of God's purpose. It's a reoccurring theme in the Old Testament, right? For you, from Adam, Abraham, Moses, right? Noah's in there somewhere, right? But God's, this idea of God's man fulfilling, uh, being the fulfiller of God's purpose, as one man fails to accomplish all that God has purposed, and all of them did, by the way, another man picks up where the other left off and finishes what the prior man had started. For example, Joshua took over for Moses, didn't he? David took over for Saul, didn't he? Elisha for Elijah. You get the idea, right? Paul, with that in view, with that in view, Paul tackles an interesting subject. Who could possibly take over for Adam, though? Who? Who could, who could actually succeed where Adam failed? Now that humanity was in this fallen state, who? Who could fix what he had broken? The history of the world knows only one man who could fill those qualifications. Jesus Christ, who is not just man, but God also, who did not set aside his divinity. Had he, he would not, he would not have been able to fix what Adam had broken, you see. And that's what's so wrong about that false doctrine. Verse 12, let's read. Therefore, just, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin... And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. You got that? Got it, right? That can be a little interesting. Essentially what he's saying here is the whole human race is viewed as having sinned in Adam. Ultimately, the whole human race was still within Adam when he sinned. Like literally within him, his DNA. So the whole human race is viewed as having sinned in Adam. All of subsequent human history, I can't overstate this, all of subsequent human history lies encapsulated in the fall of Genesis chapter 3. All of it. Thus, Adam's actions are reenacted by every human every day now. All of us. 
even to the end now that mankind suffers sickness and death, not because they sinned, but because Adam's sin is being imputed upon us. So you get sick. It's not because you sinned, understand? Although, obviously, some behaviors have some consequences, right? But in general, you could live as decent a life as anybody has ever lived outside of Christ, and you'd still die a mortal death and still get sick in your body from time to time. Why? Adam's sin. Because of Adam's sin. We are sinners in four different ways. Can I see this graphic? This is important for us to understand. Very important for us to understand. We're sinners in four ways. And to sin truly in the Greek, it just means to miss the mark. There's a standard you don't live up to. We are sinners because we commit acts of sin, obviously, right? Don't we? As we mature, hopefully we do it a little bit less. But we are still, we still are sinners. We still do. We sin because we're sinners because we commit acts of sin, number one. Number two... We are sinners by nature. Sin doesn't make us sinners, but we sin because we have that nature. Does that make sense? <laughs> we have that nature. It's our state now, in this, in this state from the garden. We are in this state of sin. God has declared the entire human family under sin since the garden. You and I, number four, are also sinners by imputation. That is, Adam acted for the human race because he was the head of it. Understand? It's important for us to understand this so we can fully understand salvation and new covenant. Okay? Verse 13 continues. For until the law, sin was in the world... But sin is not imputed when there is no law. In other words, so sin was in the world even if there wasn't a specific punishment for it. The law tells you, here's, the law tells you, here is uh, the, what is that? Is that a shofar? Lord, I'm ready. (laughs) <laughs> I gotta get it back. I gotta get it back. <clears throat> so Paul's saying here, essentially, sin was in the world, even if there wasn't a sp- specific punishment. So before the law was given, before Moses gave the law, okay, after Adam, sin entered the world, okay, the earth itself fell, all right? Our bodies fell. We changed. Think about it this way. When Jesus comes and we meet him in the air, we're going to be changed, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye. Essentially, we're going to be changed back to what we were before the fall. You understand? We'll have bodies that don't get sick, bodies that don't die. Amen? It's going to be awesome. (laughs) So that's, that's what we're looking at here. So So when the fall happened, sin entered the flesh and entered the earth, okay? So sin was in the world even before the law came. However, later Jewish tradition uh, regarding the seven commandments to Noah in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 7, uh, the Jewish tradition um, 
taught that the seven commandments of Noah were binding on all Gentiles. Um, you heard about the Ten Commandments. You don't hear much about the Seven Commandments, do you? Did you know there were Seven Commandments? The Seven Commandments of Noah? There are, indeed. And Jew Jewish tradition teaches that before the Law of Moses came, that those seven were binding on Gentiles as well. Paul doesn't mention them here, but the oldest form of tradition recognized that six of those seven uh, laws were already creation ordinances. So Paul surely, which means they were already around before Noah even wrote them down, okay? So Paul surely would have had these in mind as he presented his case that all men are found guilty in chapters 1 through 3 when he was condemning all of the Gentiles and pagans as well. Um, the only new one being the ban on eating flesh with blood in it. I actually have the list of them here. Can I see the, the graphic of the seven... Is it up there? Do not worship idols. God hates idolatry. Do not commit blasphemy. Do not murder. Do not commit sexual sin. Do not steal. That Number six was the new one. Uh, don't eat blood. What, where did I go? Did I skip one? What? Do. Oh, I was wrong. A typo. Oops. Do not eat blood or flesh cut from a living animal. And this also includes the ethical treatment of animals as well, by the way. Um, establish courts of justice. Okay. Uh, and you, the rule was that you could add more if you wanted to, but you had to at least establish those seven. But six of those were around since the garden, essentially, according to Jewish tradition. You know, <clears throat> I don't know who needs to hear this uh, today, but you sin, essentially you sin because you're a sinner. You understand? That's the, that's the state of things in this flesh now, okay? Even Paul said famously, right? What, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to Christ Jesus. Amen? But Adam was a type of him who was to come. And come, he did. Come, Jesus did, church. And as Adam, Adam's sin has been placed onto you, and we experience it, I'm experiencing it now, with some sinus congestion and a cough, right? As that has been placed onto you, now Jesus' righteousness has also been placed on you. Okay, we're just waiting for the re-transfiguration. Amen, as we talked about. The undoing of the fall, in other words. Man, I can't wait for that. Can you wait for that? I cannot wait for that. Especially every time I'm sick, I really cannot wait for that. Did you guys see Amber's post, by the way, in um, the Life Story Church family page this week? Uh, what she said, what are you looking, most looking forward to about heaven? Did you guys see that? I know a handful of you guys answered. Um, I think I left a few. I answered too. I think I left a few off the list, though. Um, man, I'm going to eat at that feast, aren't you? I'm going to eat at that feast, and I'm not going to gain a pound. 
I f- I'm feeling Elton right now. Thank you, God. I'm feeling Elton right now. I'm going to be back up to that pizza buffet like four or five times. <laughs> I want to try some manna, too, by the way. I bet it tastes like tres leches. <laughs> the, angel, the angel that's restocking the buffet, he's going to be like, you go now. <laughs> you be here for an hour. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't remember the name of that comedian. But. All right, verse 15. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. In other words, for as many have died because of Adam and the sin, many, much more even, will be saved because of Jesus. Praise be to God. You know what that makes me think of? I can't remember who said it, but uh, there was a pastor, I really can't remember, I wish I could remember, who said, you know, I think when we get to heaven, a lot of people are going to be surprised by who's there, you know, and who isn't. You know, but many more, much more, as many have died, many more even will be saved. Verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift, there it is, free gift, it's free. Lynette said that, the free gift which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. The gavel struck. You are declared not guilty in the court. Your Kyle Rittenhouse moment. Bam! Right there. Amen. God is good. Thank God for that, huh? Justice is still alive in this nation. There's a reason to hope, and we need to celebrate every reason we can find. Verse 17 For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign. Did you hear that? Will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Mm. Our predicament. Let me say this. Let me get a drink first. Our predicament, in other words, is derived from one man. Our salvation is the result of one man, Jesus Christ. Who can fix what Adam has broken? Mm. Our salvation depends on him. Not on anything we can or could ever do. We could never fix what Adam had broken. It took him In the one case, people are dying victims under a ruthless ruler, Satan. And in the other, they themselves become the rulers whose kingdom is one of life. Amen. What else does this sound like, by the way? The parallels here between the spiritual struggle And that of the free world struggle right now against tyranny cannot be ignored. 
Truly. In a true republic, you are the rulers. Amen? President's not king. He works for you. That's how it works in a true, true republic. Any other form of earthly government calls for you to surrender your rights or your, uh, your rights, your freedom to the state. Any other, any other form of earthly government that does that is antichrist, period. Whether they say it's for your own good or not, any system that asks you to lay down your freedoms and comply is anti-Christ. Have you seen these articles in the news lately? I bring this up and make it a point of emphasis this morning because I can't remember who it was. Maybe, Ron, did you show me this article? I can't remember. Uh, somebody showed me an article in the past couple of weeks of a priest who had come out and said that, you know, if, you, if you're unvaccinated, that you're unchristian, right? Look, I've said from the beginning, you know, everybody should do their own homework and make their own decision, period. I'm not going to tell you whether you should or you shouldn't. You know, that's not my place. It's to make your personal health decisions, right? But there was that, and I saw another one uh, in the USA Today that said uh, getting vaccinated is the Christian thing to do, you know, as they're pushing and pushing for everybody to do it. I'm, you know, and they, they take scripture, like loving your neighbor, as the motivation to do it, right? And I'm sorry, but loving your neighbor doesn't mean comply in handing your country over to socialists or communists. The issue is not even about the vaccine. It's about them forcing you to do it. Okay? Uh, so if you hear that jargon and you're being pressured to do it, it is the Christian thing to do. Don't listen to it, okay? Freedom and individual liberty to choose is a Christian virtue. Don't forget that. It's in your creation that he created you and gave you a right to choose because without choice, you can't love. You're just a automaton, a robot, if you don't have choice. So by giving you free will, choice, freedom, he created you able to love him. That's where our founder said that, you know, we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? So verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift, there it is again, came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So powerful. You know, free, free, free. Paul is driving this point home that it's free, free, free. Unfortunately, there are some uh, in Christian circles and churches today that take advantage of his language as being free. We need to keep in mind that just because it's free does not mean that it's cheap. Okay? It wasn't cheap. No, it cost God greatly. It cost him greatly uh, to make it free to us, much like it cost our founding fathers greatly to give us freedom. The bloodless cross, though, uh, is being taught across this country. 
the focus, the draw, the appeal of it is, you know, what Jesus can do for you, right? Oh, my gosh. My, uh, um, I saw uh, one of those Babylon Bee-like jokes put up about a preacher of that kind of stuff, and they said, it was a fake book cover, and it said, put Jesus to work for you, like self-help book. It's hilarious and not funny at all at the same time, isn't it? No, church, it is all about, it is all about what he has already done. What he suffered, what he accomplished. Praise be to God, my goodness. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Again, we see sin, uh, or again, we sin because we're sinners, okay? Uh, has a child, by the way, has a child ever had to be taught to be naughty? Hmm? Cyrus has even started doing little things like, you know, he grabs something that he's not supposed to or grabs something out of the cabinet he's not supposed to. And as soon as you spot him, he walks over and says, I got this for you. <laughs> Amber and I look at each other. We're like, did you see that? No, no. It's in us, guys. It's in us. It's in the fallen DNA. Yeah, <laughs> right? Oh, Paul says, let's continue. For many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. This implies the process of sanctification, which is so awesome, and it's so good. I can't wait to study it. We're going to do that next week, though. I see this graphic. Here's what sanctification is. I'll give you the nutshell. You can see, the, see that graphic. What is sanctification? The process of becoming who you will be forever. That's all it is. You know, it can be hard to judge where somebody is at in that process, can it? It can be hard to judge where somebody's at. You know, it's not always tough. Sometimes you can see, you know. Uh, but, you know, I always like to share the story of the the drug addict, the crack addict, who came to church, came up to the altar on Sunday morning, gave their heart to Jesus, truly put their faith in him, truly were signed, sealed, and delivered that day, but went home, and guess what? They still lived in a crack house. They went all day without lighting up again, but at the end of the evening, as their friends came in, they fell weak and smoked crack. Are they not saved now? No, they've not lost their salvation. But from the outside looking in, somebody might look at that scenario and say, how could that person be saved? We have to be careful in making our judgments. Every, but for that person, they made great progress that day. You know? And now they'll have guilt and they'll reset their mind the next day and try to do better and try to do better. And that's sanctification. That's the process. That's why we don't judge somebody else's salvation. Now we can judge their fruit on whether or not they're a good bet to partner with in business or something, or marriage. But we have to be careful. Sanctification is the setting apart for a higher or uncommon use, is what it means. But that's next week in chapter 6. Let's finish this out now. Verse 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. 
thank God. In verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why did God introduce the law for sin to abound? This is the opposite of man's thinking, right? For sin to abound? This is to eliminate any ability. Hear me now on this. This is to eliminate any ability of man to rationalize away his sin nature. That's why. And Paul will expound on this further in Romans chapter, seven, uh, Romans chapter 7. You have to understand that it isn't until man despairs of his self-effort, despairs of his self-effort, that he can even comprehend God's grace. You've got to fully, fully come to the end and realize, I cannot do this. I'm not able I won't make it. I won't make the mark. I won't get my ticket punched. I need you. And that's why the law came, to ensure that men would finally, finally come to an end of themselves. It isn't until he despairs of his self-effort that he can even comprehend God's grace, which thankfully abounds more and more. So in conclusion here, one last graphic. We see, uh, we see the final breakdown of two unions, the contrast of two unions. One man, Adam. One man, Christ. One man's offense where many died. One man's free gift, which led to righteousness for many. One man, Adam, which brought judgment and condemnation. For many offenses, Christ died and gave the gift of justification. Verse 17, through one man, death reigns. Through one man, believers reign in life. Verse 18, one man's offense brought condemnation to all. Righteousness of one man, justification offered for all. Verse 19, the disobedience of one, many through that, many were made sinners, and through the obedience of one, many were made righteous. And in conclusion, verse 21, sin reigned in death, and now God reigns in eternal life. Amen? Amen, church. Can I invite Pat up here? <clears throat> Give me a little mood music, will you? Love, joy, and peace mark the lives of those who have been justified by faith. The guilty past has been canceled. Did you hear me on that one? The guilty past has been canceled. The glory of the future is assured. Assured. And here, the present power of the Spirit to secure the believer and the grace that they, we need to endure trials, to resist evil, and to live as benefactors of those whom God has made righteous. It's upon us now. 
God is good. Amen. For God declares men righteous. Not by faith as the pouring, as the procuring cause, for the blood of Christ was that. Not by faith as the putting forth of a work, much less by the keeping of divine commandments, however holy and just, but out of reliance upon his own word as true. And that alone, that alone, church. Mm. Oh, we give thanks today, Lord, with every eye closed and every head bowed. Those of you who are here this morning, if there's any here who just need to cast their cares upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and need to let that guilt go, feel the confidence that your future is assured in him, raise your hand. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Let it drop off of you like a weight, like a heavy burden. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Sit at his feet this morning and rest. Rest in that blessed assurance, that blessed hope that we have to look forward to. If there are any here who want to recommit their heart to Jesus this morning, wonderful, wonderful. You know, we sin because we're sinners and this flesh has fallen and broken. But he's making us like him day by day. We pick ourselves back up and we try again. And in five years, we won't struggle with what we struggle with today. And one day he'll perfect us when he comes for us. In the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. We're no longer slaves to sin. We never, no longer suffer the imputation of it. Though we have to deal with it. But he'll help you deal with it. And he'll help you overcome. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. We thank you that you carry our burdens with us, Lord Jesus. We want to rest at your feet. Surrender our guilt, Father. As guilt, we view as a gift to lead us to the changing of our minds. To spur us, the conviction to spur us to action and to run to you. Or we're sorry for how we fall short, Lord Jesus. We give thanks that you've made up the difference for us. We thank you for our, thank you for your grace in all of our shortcomings, Lord Jesus. Every time we miss the mark, you don't forsake us. You don't turn your back on us. You dry our tears and you pick us up as a good, good father. Now let's pray together, church. For those recommitting their hearts, let's pray together with them. Say this, say, Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. That you paid my debt. Paid in full. That you rose from the grave on the third day. 
And because you live, I live with you. And I will live with you for eternity. I trust you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, seal my heart. Walk with me all the days of my life. Grow me closer to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. May he bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May you go in grace. May he walk before you, follow after you, walk beside you. May you prosper in all you do, saints of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Thank you.